Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I hope you're having a great day today. My guest today is Dermot O'Shea. He is the co-CEO and co-founder of Tauglass. Tauglass is a leading enabler of digital transformation using IoT. I met him uh, through YPO. He's a YPO member, and I interviewed him on my videocast uh, series that I do for my company, Breadware, IoT, Internet of Things, called In the Kitchen. Check it out if you're interested in anything IoT. Uh, anyway, came on the show and we hit it off and I wanted to talk to him about his leadership philosophy and what Tauglass does and how he and his partner really built this amazing company that's growing so quickly. So Dermot uh, gets vulnerable. He talks about imposter syndrome and insecurities and how he had to learn how to be a better leader. It's a fantastic interview. You're really going to love it. And so hang tight and I'll be right back with Dermot. All right, everyone. I am back with Dermot O'Shea. Dermot, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. So you're the co-CEO and co-founder of Tauglass, which is known for its Internet of Things technology in the IoT space, but you're doing lots of cool things besides just uh, antenna work. So maybe in your own words, could you tell us a little bit about what Tauglass does and why you started it? Yeah. So as as you mentioned there, we like implement digital transformation through IoT. So we solve all complex challenges using our knowledge with antenna design, RF design, hardware design, and now also actually full end-to-end solution design. Um, so we help help companies connect their stuff, make them more efficient and save them money. Um, why, we, why we started it? So um, me and my partner, Ronan Quinlan, uh, started it in 2003. Two Irishmen in uh, Taiwan, um, believe it or not. And that's where we started talking. And we both just had the same you know, desire to start a company. We both wanted to start a technology company. We both wanted wanted it to be international. Um, and, and that's why we started it, just that uh, entrepreneurial need, the drive to do our own thing. Um, both born out of frustration from, from other people that we had worked for probably in the past. And also just seeing a, a fantastic opportunity in technology. Um, you know, such a, a vast growing market that we said we, we got to get into this. And so you started in Taiwan and then went to Ireland. So tell a little bit about, you know, how that whole thing came down. I mean, I, I think I said that you lived like in a hut uh, as you were um, as you were building this company. So, you know, tell me about that transition and what was that was like starting out? Yeah, no, I think that our first Irish office was in a hut. I yes, wasn't that's what I, it was. actually I, I wasn't living in the hut. I was <laughs> okay. looking to be, to be supported by it by my wife who had a good job at the time. But um, when we were in Taiwan, um, yeah, Ronan had lived there for, for a long time before I went there. I was just there for a year. Um, so I went back to Ireland and uh, Ronan established the operations in Taiwan and I established a company in Ireland. So Taiwan really became our, you know, product and production and operation side of things. And I was on the, 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 the sales and customer facing side of things out of Ireland. Um, so it, it kind of grew from there. You know, we moved to a bigger office in Ireland and then in, in 2008, 2009, we started doing business in the States and, you know, it was difficult to manage that from Ireland. So then I moved over here and um, we established our, our US operations here and 
you know, since then we've been, we've been setting up new locations probably every, every two years or so. Um, and we've 10 now and uh, we're adding India this year and, um, yeah, so it's been, it's been growing and, and moving well. And what's been the most interesting thing that you've learned setting up businesses in all of these various countries? Like what, what surprised you about doing this? Um, that it's not as hard as it looks. It's not as hard as it seems. I think a lot of people have a fear of going over or going to a different place or especially a different culture with a different language and all the, the laws around it. And, and people are scared of that. Well, what happens if I get sued or what happens if this happens? Or, and it's not really as hard once you go there and understand the people that you need to deal with and what the culture is and what's different about that place and what's, what are the things to watch out for and, and start establishing relationships there, then it's, it's easier than you think. Yeah. And so I think people would have to assume that, you know, you and your partner are pretty big risk takers, right? Starting a company in Taiwan and then doing this, this rapid growth that you've been doing over the last, you know, 20 years. Uh, you know, would you consider yourself a risk taker? What does that look like? No, I don't. Do you know what no. I mean? Like, it do, I don't feel like a risk taker. You know what I mean? And and I don't think like my partner Ronan is either. I think when we, we want to do something, it's based on, okay, sometimes it might be based on our gut instincts, which people might say, ooh, that's risky because you don't have all the data and you haven't done all the analysis, but we, we have in our heads, if you know what I mean, which might sound crazy, but like when you're in a, like we're doing this now for 18 years and we've been doing electronics, you know, since for, for longer than that. So you just inherently know where the market's going, what the market wants a little bit. I'm not saying all the time, but you know, and you, you talk about it together and you've talked about it to other people. You talk to your customers, your suppliers about it. So you're not like waking up one day and going, I'm going to do this crazy thing. There are ideas and, and, and there's a risk to everything, but it's calculated. It's thought about over time. We consult on it with others. We've always had like mentors you know, our customers that would give us honest feedback, you know, other uh, people in our leadership team as well. So I don't consider it a risk. I know some people would consider these things a risk. Like I did, you know, quit my job and, and wrote, we both quit our jobs and, and to do it. And we didn't have a salary for two years. But for me, that's, it's not a risk at the age we were at. We didn't have any, we didn't have kids at that stage. You know, we didn't have those responsibilities that we needed to worry about. So like whatever part you think is a risk, I think you just cover that off. Do you know what I mean? Like if, okay, if you need to pay off your mortgage for two years, you know, get the money first to pay off your mortgage or whatever. Like there's all, move to a smaller house, whatever it is, there's always, there's always a way you can do it. If you try and do everything and you like, if you want everything, then that's where you're taking the risk. But um, yeah. you know, it's, it, I know, I think it looks risky, but again, it's like the fear of, of the other countries and cultures, it's not as bad as you think. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, and going back to what you said on, in, on intuitive decision-making, I'm such a big believer in intuitive decision-making. And it isn't really like all of a sudden you just come up with an idea and or, you know, a decision you have to make and go with it. I think our brains are constantly recognizing those patterns and, you know, drawing on experiences. So, you may not like, you know, consciously go, oh, yes, I'm pulling on from all of this data that I've been been uh, keeping storing in my brain. But that's how I can see that this is going to be a good decision, even if there is some risk to it. So 
I don't think the whole idea of intuitive decision making is crazy at all. Uh, I think we're making intuitive decisions all the time and it might feel like it, it's coming out of the blue, but it's really not. We are storing all of those experiences and, and recognizing patterns to help with that. So I'm sure as you were progressing in business and you could see like, hey, this is what we can do. This is what we can do. And it felt intuitive. You know, it was really based on a lot of your experiences that you've had in the past. Yeah. And I find when you when you go with that intuition and you lean on your gut instinct and if it if it's wrong, then you don't regret it. Yeah. But what you really regret is going again, making a decision that's against your intuition and it's against your gut instinct. And then you're saying to yourself, oh, I should have, I should have listened to myself. I should have gone with what I was feeling at the time. Um, and that's, you know, that's why I kind of always just go with it. And then if yep. I'm wrong, I can live with it. Yep. Nope. I totally agree with you. And I really appreciate what you said about the risk piece of it. I think People look at, at at entrepreneurs as these big charismatic risk takers like Steve Jobs. And really, you know, there are, are individuals who might be able to pull that off. But I think the very best entrepreneurs are calculated. You know, they know when to take the right the the risks and when not to take those risks. And and to grow a successful business, you're gonna always be pushing yourself to that edge. Okay, we got it. Now we're gonna do the next level of growth and I've got to push myself to the edge again. Um, but it, 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 to me, it's much more calculated and planned and thought, well thought out versus, you know, this whole idea that it's this charismatic risk-taking aspect that people take. So I'm glad that you shared that perspective with me. Yeah. And I think that's why it's good to have others involved. Like whether if, if that's why it's good, it's good sometimes to have a, it's the advantage of having a partner. If, but if you don't, you can have mentors, you can have other people that have done it before. Just to, just to have that like sanity check yep. from it, like and not and not dive in, you know, you, even though you want to dive in, maybe just hold off for a little bit and get other people's perspectives on it, get their shared experiences. And then at least it's a sanity check that, yeah, actually my intuition and my gut are right because it was validated by, by people that have done it before. Yep, I agree. And how you, you mentioned mentors, uh, how have you used mentors throughout your careers growing, growing this business? Yeah, definitely. At, at the very beginning, we used like, you know, local businessmen um, from our own communities that would have done things before that were more rigid on, you know, your most important uh, Excel sheet at this stage is cash flow projections and, you know, how to just, uh, you know, not spend too much money and simple, simple things like that generic business plans, you know, whether you should take on investment and things like that. And then more recently, we have an advisory board and, and they're all very experienced, you know, executives that have done it before in the area of expertise that they're in. So we have like a marketing advisor that was the CMO of Ryanair. We have a legal advisor. We have a, you know, in each of those areas that, the, that that's very important for the company, we have advisors. So I, you know, it's something I think that you're naturally resistant to like you, and you find it difficult at the start where you're kind of like, I don't want other people telling me how I should be running things. And, and they don't know anyway, cause they're like, you know, when you're in your twenties and they're yeah. like 45 and you go, they're old, what would they know about it? Um, <laughs> so there's obviously people saying that about me now, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of putting that aside and just, you know, realizing that there are what they're going through, what they've gone through is similar. Like all businesses have similarities. It doesn't yeah. matter whether you're selling, you know, cupcakes, antennas or, or you know, shares or whatever. There's similarities yeah. in, in the relationships and the basics of the business. So like, 
ha- focus on those, get the, get the basics right, right? And then, and you take a, a lot of those risks. I've seen, I see so many businesses fail because they just don't have the basics right. Yeah. You know, a lot of it is just, it's not rocket science. Um, get the basics right. And, and a lot of the time, you know, you can work on or modify the other stuff. Yep, I agree. Yeah, and I, I think to your point too, you know, whether, I think there's some CEOs who, you know, or leaders growing that ladder who feel like asking for help or looking for that mentorship, you know, seeking other people's advice is a sign of weakness. And, you know, I remember when I first, so I, I was named a C- CEO when I was very young, um, 29 years old, and I was hellbent on proving myself, right, that I could do this. And so I had a, and I had a, a board of director give me very direct feedback. In fact, I was negotiating my salary and he said, I don't think you should make that much. You're not really a CEO. And I was so pissed. I was so angry. And we went back and forth and, and, you know, we, we hammered it all out, but it really damaged the relationship. And I went and talked to him about it afterwards. And he was right. I wasn't really a CEO. You know, I was still just, you know, figuring it out, uh, but too much of an ego to like admit that. But he told me, he said, you are trying so hard to prove yourself and you are so sure that what your, your way is the right way that you get defensive when somebody else is trying to maybe give you some perspective. And I've been around the block. I have seen really bad things happen. And so all I'm trying to do is just help you learn from my experience, but you are never going to learn from it if you get defensive. Everybody tries to tell you to maybe like consider something different. And that stuck with me. Um, it still does. I, I tell that story often because I was really glad that he told me that. Like, you come across as defensive and you're not using me as a competitive advantage and all of the knowledge that I have. So I was really glad someone told me that when I was like my first year as a CEO uh, because it made me much more open to that mentorship. Um, and I think I made better decisions because of it. Yeah, I, I'd say on that, I'd agree with that. I've learned that myself probably more the hard way and and the way I look the way I kind of phrase it now is like as the CEO it's not all about you yep. you know when you're when you're the young CEO it's all in your mind it's all about me I need to work hard to make me look good and I need to look like this super successful um entrepreneur because that's what all great companies need at the helm blah 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 and then you know with more experience I realized it's actually not all about me yeah. And the most important thing is to, it's, it's, it's about our customers and it's about our employees. Um, they're both, e- in my mind, they're both equally important. And, uh, you know, because if you keep your customers happy, it, it can automatically lead to happy employees and vice versa. You need, you really need both. And, you know, Ronald, Ronald Reagan always had a, a great qu- quote like that. There's no end to the success you can have if, if you don't mind who gets the credit. And, you know, I think Simon Sinek talks about it as well. That leaders should eat, leaders eat last, things like that. It just, it, that's definitely true. You know, you, when you go into meetings, customer meetings, I've definitely been trying to give other people the floor. Whereas when, in, when I started first, like I needed the floor, do you know what I mean? You got to listen to me first and listen to what I have to say, because that's really important. And guess what? It's actually not. <laughs> so. It's about solving the customer's problems and, and getting a solution for them. So that's kind of where, what I've been working on is trying to stand back and, um, and let other people do it and, and allow people to make mistakes. You know, like, like I was allowed to make mistakes, allow people to make mistakes, 
it's not the end of the world. You can always fix them. You can always make them right and, and, and let people learn from it. Yeah, I know. I never said, oh, I did that so great. I learned so much from it. It was every time of like, ooh, I really screwed that up. And then you learn from it. So you have to let people people make mistakes, even if it repl- even if it might reflect poorly on you as a leader, because it's how we all learn. So I completely agree with you. Yeah. So, so is there is there something that has triggered this, right? So going from this, you know, I need to make sure that everybody knows that I'm competent, that I'm the leader, that that I know what I'm doing to the shift where you're, you know, leading from more from behind and letting other people shine. Like what what has caused that shift for you and and what kind of, I don't know, self-exploration have you done to um to get yourself at this point in the journey? I think, you know, it's it's uh it's it's conflict, it's stress, it's on you know, starting just things beginning to overwhelm you and, and with the relationship issues that you form in, in, in the workplace because you're trying to do everything yourself, because you, you know, you're trying to put yourself forward as, as the solution to everything. Um, and, you know, so that's really what I think leads to that crunch part of, you know, you have to look at how you're managing things and then, you know, you learn more about yourself. You know, like I learned that, that a lot of that believe it or not, comes from uh, low self-esteem. Yeah. You know, having low self-esteem and telling yourself you're not good enough a lot of the time means that like how you end up showing up is, look at me, I'm actually the best here. Um, and, you know, realizing that was a big, was a was an aha moment for me um, and probably had it since since childhood. Didn't, and I never knew that. And, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a big blow when I figured it out. Um, but once I realized it, it was, it was a game changer because now I, I recognize, all right, there's a voice that's telling me that I can't do this or I shouldn't do that or I'm not good enough for this. And now that I know that that's there, it, that was just a game changer. Then I, I'm able to recognize it. I'm able to laugh at it, nip it in the bud and, and just ignore it. And, 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 you know, and then now I'm more open to, to reaching out for help. I'm more open to recognizing what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, and and not not worried about if if it doesn't work out. You know what I mean? We're not. We've got luxury problems here in in the western part of America, right? Compared to play some other places where people live and through other situations people go through. You know, like any, I realized a lot of those problems and challenges that I was having were all luxury problems. You know, so now I'm just I'm grateful to have those problems and go like there's no one shooting at me. Um, you know, there's no one bombing our town here, so we're everything's okay after that. Let's let's try and figure it out. Yeah, I think that's a really good perspective. And I'm really got, glad that you brought up this whole idea of imposter syndrome because I, I think a lot of CEOs don't talk about it, even though most of us have it. Uh and 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 it does cause us to overcompensate, you know, maybe tell a little bit what a little white lie to exaggerate, to come across as overconfident and and arrogant and I will tell you, I think it's a hidden thorn in organization's side because most people feel it. And then when they're showing up as their unauthentic selves because they're trying to fake it till they make it or, you know, put on some different show than what they really are, you don't really, you get people more worried about trying to pretend to do what they, they, they can't do rather than actually saying, hey, I'm not good at this, but I am good at this. Let's do more of that. So 
I think it's such an important topic. And I read a statistics that, that I think only 5% of organizations have leaders who talk about imposter syndrome with their employees. And and so it just goes unaddressed. And then here we are, you know, in our 40s, finally figuring it out like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's what this is. And boy, it has been holding me back for, you know, 40 some years. So I think it's really powerful that that you talk about it and I found ways to overcome it. Yeah, imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's a good, a good way to describe it. You know, I think, maybe I've yeah, because I've I would have had that all all my life from from childhood. I felt that. You know what I mean? Maybe that's one of the reasons there was a lot of traveling and moving around. You know, you think it, sometimes it might be different somewhere else when all you really needed to do was settle down. But I think we also paint a picture of what the CEO should be like, what the entrepreneur should be like. That they have all the answers. And that they don't have imposter syndrome. They can't have low self-esteem. Sure, how could you be a successful CEO if you had these, um, you know, these issues, right? Um, they're not even issues. They're just weaknesses, right? Everyone probably has it a little bit. And, you know, I think that's why people get this thing. Oh, is it lonely as the CEO? No, it's not lonely. It's fantastic because you get to spend time with whoever you want. You know exactly. what I mean? I, I can pick to be with that customer or this customer or over here rather than, where I don't want to be, I think what they what they what they're looking for is that the, it's kind of go, going back to what I said earlier about allowing others to take the credit. I think some people want to do it because they want that they, they, they want to be at the top, you know, enjoying the the celebrations, enjoying the prizes. But there really isn't any, right? Because like you know, you get the hundred million revenue you know, which was our target and we've got here. And what does everyone want? When are you going to get to 500 million? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no celebration. Oh, and by the way, your margin wasn't high enough and you spent too much here and there was too many, you know, there was all these other problems with it. So, you know, get, 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 get your boots on and go back out there. But so it's not lonely. It's just, you're not going to get all this celebration and backslapping that you might be looking for. Yep. Um, and so, so be ready for that, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I always tell people, CEO, they're just three letters that's like next to my name. <laughs> you know, I'm just like a normal person. And yes, I have a certain level of responsibility, um, you know, a, a lot of responsibility for taking care of all my employees and solving my customers' problems and growing the organization and creating a company that, you know, makes the lives of our constituents better. Uh, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you're not just a regular person who has hopes and fears and dreams and insecurities and all of those things. So I feel like, you know, we put CEOs up on this pedestal, like they're supposed to be something that's that we should aspire to because they're somehow, you know, better, stronger human beings. And a lot of times we're not, you know, over time, of course, we get more resilient and you have to get tougher. But um, but, you know, it's just three letters behind my name. And I think if, if people can relate to you that way, then, then they start to see like, okay, yes, you know, she doesn't have all the answers, you know, he is going to be wrong sometimes. And, um, this makes you more relatable. And I think it also helps me know that like, at least from my perspective, I don't have to try to pretend to be perfect and have all the answers and, um, and never make a mistake. Yeah. And I think it's, I think COVID helped a lot of it because a lot of people reflected on on you know where yeah. where their weaknesses were during COVID and and they reflected on how they can make things better maybe yeah. while and they definitely reflected on how do I improve things in general and a lot of people were getting that feedback that you know say as 
as a company, as a management team, you do need to be more empathetic, more vulnerable, more honest, more authentic. Whereas like, you know, we were probably even in a mode ourselves of, yeah, that's all, that's all nice, but we need to grow revenue. We need to maximize profit. We need to, et cetera, et cetera. And there was, there wasn't much of that you could do during COVID when we were all locked up at home. And um, so I, I think improving, you know, how we turned up and how we managed, how we hired, you know, how we listened to our employees more. That's something that we definitely did. And I, I see a lot of others doing that as well and just becoming comfortable with it. Like, you know, it's a, it's a cultural thing for a lot of us as well. You know, like East Coast, United States, Ireland, you know, a lot of Eastern European cultures, like as a man, even like you can't tell somebody that you have low self-esteem, that you're having pastor syndrome. It's what the hell is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Um, you're losing it, you know, like get, get yourself <laughs> together here. And so like it has, it's been nice. It's been a relief, I think, for a lot of people to see that that's definitely changing. You know, yep. it's, 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 I don't think it's, it's, we're further on than early days. I think we definitely have a lot further to go, but I'm like, I'm noticing people are way more comfortable yeah. Talking about personal stuff in the West, yeah. the West coast of the US. I actually found it like strange myself when I came to California 11 years ago. I was like, why is the person I never met telling me about their, you know, their personal life? Like, what's wrong with this person? Are they on drugs or something? Yeah. And turned out, you know what? No, they're just more, they're more used to, more comfortable talking yeah. about, um, you know, some areas of their life that mightn't be going as well, you know? Um, so yeah. Maybe COVID, another benefit of a pandemic, if there is any. Yeah, well, I think there's lots of benefits of the pandemic. And I agree with you, this whole focus on, on human connection, you know, that's what we've lost. And you look at, not to get political or, you know, but look at the, the polarization, especially in the United States, but really everywhere. People have become disconnected to those personal stories like, hey, we're actually far more similar than we are different. And if we don't allow at the workplace where we spend, you know, the majority of our waking hours building those relationships and, and, and sharing, you know, the personal aspects of us, all of a sudden it becomes really easy to say, oh yeah, but you're this way and you're that way. And I think that if there's anything that will be good that comes out of it, hopefully it is this idea that, you know, we can, we can be more vulnerable and we can connect and that companies should, as part of their values help employees connect because that's how you get more stuff done. When you like somebody, when you understand somebody, even if we might be really different, um, but I, okay, I understand where, you know, where you're coming from on that and why you think that way. You're so much more tolerant of a different opinion where, you know, otherwise we just want to stereotype when we have no perspective, no story um, to go with, you know, a, a response or reaction. So anyway, I just, that's one of the things that we really do at Stone Age. It's Everything that we are trying to do is about building those connections. How do we help people tell personal stories so that they know each other better and hopefully like each other better? Because we're all going to do way bigger and better things if we actually like each other. Yeah, I think it's it's one way to do that is if people are comfortable being more open about their own challenges yeah. and how that may actually affect them showing up in the workplace, you know, because like everyone feels bad if, if, you know, I'm sure you've all experienced somebody hasn't been performing or hasn't been turning up and you're getting frustrated with them. And then you find out later 
that they had a family member that was sick or that they were going through a divorce or they had somebody in their family that died. And then, you, and, and what everyone says is, if only they had told me, I wish they had told me because we would have treated them different. We would have been more understanding and more empathetic and, and actually, you know, said, okay, you're going through this, like maybe you should take some time out or how can we help you in this situation, you know, rather than actually making things worse by, you know, trying to, to, to ask you, why haven't you? delivered on on the work side with this that or the other so i think if people could get more comfortable um you know opening up and uh, about their own personal challenges outside the workplace you'd be surprised at how understanding people can be totally yeah i agree so how how does that work within your culture like what is your culture like and how are you cultivating it to be more empathetic and connected i think we just try and lead from example you know um we we you know, and every year we have a, a, a company get together in each region where we, we do like team building exercises and we do exercises that try and, you know, expose people's personal side a little bit more, to be honest, you know, who, and even when they join the company, we'll try and tell a person, get them to tell something that's interesting personally about them. We've done, during the pandemic, we did podcasts with individuals that were new, so on the personal side so people could get to know them better. But it's, I think we've, we've got a very diverse uh, organization because we're across 10 locations. I think we have like 50, 50 men and women. We have something like over 30 different nationalities. So just from all of us having to deal with different regions and locations, you know, that really, I think helps on the culture side. Uh, you know, and like you said there a, a while ago, talking about, you know, realizing there's differences between people, being patient to that, you know, not realize that everyone doesn't work the same way that you do or we do in a certain region. And um, just being patient to that and understanding to that, I think, has helped our culture. But we, you know, we've looked at what's our culture. The conclusion was it's competitive, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have, we, we've been growing fast. We, you know, we've been doing acquisitions. We've been opening new locations. And some people like that haphazard nature that that brings, you know, being able to work on multiple things at the same time. Like I need it personally, and but some people don't. They just want to focus on one thing um, and be left alone to that until they're finished it. So I think, you know, it, we have to understand that. The challenge is how do you communicate that to potential um, new hires, you know, it's just so that they're clear on it in advance. And this is what the culture is like. So that they're not shocked in when it comes on and they're going like, wow, these guys are asking me to do so much so fast. How do I manage? You know, yeah. trying to make that clear in advance is is what we're working on at the moment. Yeah, we do the same thing. We're, I would say the word that we would use to describe us is driven and we move fast. And in fact, we so we do quarterly pulse surveys so we can get people's temperature on what's going on. And somebody had said, uh, I don't think that if you aren't, if you are not self-motivated, you would not make it at Stone Age as if it was a negative thing. And I was like, yes, that's so <laughs> right. You know, like we are a very driven organization. We're doing big things. Like we're, we're driven to make a big impact in this world, but not everybody is motivated by that. Right. I mean, I, I've laid out our path to a billion dollar company and I know some people are like, oh God, that sounds horrible. You know, even though we're employee owned and it's going to probably make them very, very wealthy if they stay with the company for, you know, over a decade. Um, but, you know, it does. It, it really, I think, 
you're going to have the most success when you're honest about what your culture is, is like, and then people can self-select in to say, yeah, I want to be part of that. For people who aren't driven and who aren't self-motivated, this is probably a pretty miserable place to work. And I don't, I wouldn't ever want that for anybody. I want people to be happy and healthy and, and doing what they love to do in a place that they belong and, and not everybody feels that way. So I, I completely understand what you're saying about how to, how to be open about it and make sure that people know what they're signing up for when they come to work for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, and we try and tell them that, but it is, it, and it changes, you know, things change when you're trying to be a billion dollar company, which is our target as well. Things change very, very quickly. So you need to like, be just like comfortable with change in your life. Like for all of us, change can be uncomfortable, but you know, to know, to know that there will be change, but we have the flexibility as well. I think that's important. We're flexible. Um, you know, we, we change all the time. So, you know, if, if you really, if you really think you can make a difference, this is the place to be, because guess what? You could be the one to make the change, but just know that you'll be in charge of that change. You'll be the one implementing it, managing it, writing up the process. And you're the one that's going to be measuring it. So (laughs) best of luck. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. I have two final questions before we wrap things up. So the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? For me, I think it that would mean to me that we're always learning. You know, we're, we don't, there's so much we don't know, but that's, I like that. That's exciting to me. You know what I mean? To, to embrace that, that we are always learning. And from a business perspective, that means there is so much opportunity. Like you know, we're both in the internet of things market and it feels like we're just like, it's, you know, tip of the iceberg stuff, you know? I agree. It all is all about learning, right? Learning. And then how do you, how do you reflect on it to, to, to grow, to move yourself forward? So I completely agree. All right. Final question is if you had one piece of advice for leaders to be exceptional at what they're doing, what would that be? Oh, just to never quit, you know, don't give up. That's, you know, that's, for me, that's, you just keep going. You never, you just have that resilience. Like I'm not like whatever strengths and weaknesses we have. I know that this company has resilience and the two founders have resilience. Um, and that's what you need yeah. to succeed in business. And, you know, you sometimes there's a lot of no's to get the yes. Um, but so what, you know, you just, just don't quit keep going. If you believe in it, as we said earlier, trust your gut, trust your intuition. Um, you can get it wrong. You can change it and keep going. Just never give up. Yeah. Great advice. Good. All right. So how can people find you and uh, Tau Glass? Oh, the, the usual. It's T-A-O-G-L-A-S dot com. The one, one S and yeah, all of, all the usual social media channels. But reach out to our, on our website, you'll see we've got 10 locations. So wherever you're local, uh, wherever you're closest to reach out to them. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. And I'll include all that in the show notes. All right, Dermot, it was so great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing a a little bit about your story and, and, and your philosophies. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Thanks, Kerry. Really enjoyed it. Wasn't expecting to go that deep and vulnerable, but um, yeah, thanks for having me and uh, it's been great. All right. Well, thank you for role modeling. That's what you needed to do is role model. So good job. All (laughs) All right. Hang tight. I'll be right back. Okay, we are back. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you like this podcast, please write a review, 
rate it, subscribe to it, send it to a friend. It always helps with the algorithms. And I look forward to seeing you next week on an Advice from the CEO episode of Reflect Forward. Thanks so much. Take care. See you next week.